Oh! 
God the glory this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here. Well, we made it to 2021. You can no longer say it's just 2020. Uh, it's now 2021, and that's going to probably take a little while to, to get used to. We're thankful that you are here. I see some visitors this morning. We are thrilled to have you as our guest. Uh, inside the bulletin, which should have been there on your seat, is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. We just want to get to know you better. Uh, there's also a place for you on the backside to list some ways in which we can be praying for you. If you have any questions while you're here, please don't hesitate uh, to ask. Uh, we would love to, to answer those and love to be able to serve you and minister to you uh, in any way that we can. I want to take a moment um, to praise God for a couple things, uh, and then I want to go ahead and go through all of our announcements because we're going to end our service this morning just in a time of prayer, and I just want to end with us praying, and I want to go ahead and do the announcements. So uh, first, let me just praise, there's a lot we can praise God for, but I was just standing there thinking, uh, number one, you guys noticed we had another student up here in the praise band this morning. Toby was up here on the bass. So our students comprised almost 50% of the praise team uh, this morning, which is so awesome to see them serving. Uh, and man, that, that makes the future look good. And I praise God for that. Also want to praise God for, for Pastor BJ. I know it was, what you say, Youth Sunday last week, youth pastors all across the America preaching, filling in for pastors who are off visiting family. Um, and so he brought a challenging word and just thankful for him and uh, and his willingness to do that. And then he mentioned it last week. I just want to draw your attention to it again to praise God for your generosity towards our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you haven't looked in the bulletin yet, you guys gave $9,434. I mean, that is awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for giving generously as that all of that goes to the mission field to help our missionaries who are out there telling other people uh, about Jesus Christ. So thankful uh, to be serving here at Northside as your pastor. Uh, hope you all had a great Christmas and uh, a great new year. And I'm looking forward to whatever 2021 holds for America, for our church, for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm excited about being a part of that with you uh, and seeing what God is going to do. Let me just draw your attention to some announcements. Uh, there is a 21 day of prayer journal out there. We have about 20 of these left. I'm going to reference this in my sermon, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't picked one of these up, to grab one on your way out. You've missed the first couple of days, so you can catch up, or you can just start fresh today on day one, however you want to do that. There's going to be a meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. Uh, if you're interested uh, in our kids' camp, youth camp, volunteering for those, that is next week. You want to uh, make note of that. Let me encourage our students. I know BJ's been doing this. Uh, they're doing a New Testament reading plan. Um, our students, I want to encourage them to get involved. And listen, as an adult, if you don't have a plan to read God's Word this year, come up with a plan today. You won't accidentally read the Bible. You, you've got to be focused. You need a plan. And so make sure you're intentional um, about that. A couple other things that I really want to draw your attention to. One, you'll notice in the bulletin that we have no evening services tonight. We have one more Sunday off, and then next Sunday we'll resume those activities. I'm also going to make a change to our bulletin. We were supposed to resume our Wednesday activities this week, 
But we're going to take one more Wednesday off. Uh, we have several in our church who are either directly dealing with COVID or indirectly having to quarantine. And I think it would just be helpful to have one more week where we're not gathered in uh, a midweek service uh, just to kind of help prevent if somebody were to come Wednesday and, and to get sick. Um, also, you'll notice that Curtis and Ann are not here today. I talked with Curtis this morning. Curtis has been a little under the weather, um, and so they're just quarantining. Uh, he was feeling better this morning, and so I praise God for that. But more than likely, they will not be here next Sunday as well. And so for that reason, no choir practice. Uh, again, we're, we're not going to have anything on Wednesday. And the other thing, that leads into next Sunday. Next Sunday uh, is going to be an exciting Sunday, and I want to encourage you to be here. And if you can't be here, to make sure you tune in online. It's going to be a Sunday that we focus on missions. Uh, and we're going to have with us a guest speaker. His name is J.J. Washington. Um, and I'm going to send a bio uh, out uh, about him on Realm. He sent me uh, his testimony. Um, and so he's going to be here. He works with Georgia Baptist Church Strengthening Team. He oversees the missions. Uh, Pastor BJ and I have had a chance to meet with him several times. Uh, a man of God, a passionate preacher of the Word of God. I can't wait to, to hear him speak. But it's also really important because we're going to talk more next week uh, about a partnership that our church is going to have with Ecuador going forward, but more specifically, a partnership that our brother Mark Runyons uh, has with the Georgia Baptist. And so that all started through JJ and God laying that upon Mark's heart as the virtual strategy coordinator. You guys come up with another term. Is that what you're going with? So the VSC. So Mark's going to share a little bit next week about what that looks like and that really cool partnership that he is going to have working with our West Central region in missions and how that's going to directly affect the church. And so I want to really, really encourage you to be here next week. It's going to be an amazing time of worship um, as we just celebrate and, and focus our hearts uh, towards missions as we enter into this new year. Uh, we're going to sing one more song with the praise team here in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, I want us to spend some time in prayer. And I'm going to read a verse that we're all familiar with. Uh, so it's not going to be on the screen. And then I'm just going to call you to pray. And then I'm going to preach. And then I'm going to call you to pray even more after uh, the sermon. And so this is 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 13 and 14. And if you're doing the Awaken, this was the scripture for today. Verse 13, we're not as familiar with as we are verse 14. But, but verse 13 says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. You'll notice those aren't good things. Right? We would call those things a calamity. Right? If the rain were to cease, or right, if locusts were to come in and to devour the land, or if pestilence were to be sent among the people. Right? We could think of diseases, and here we are in 2021 now, but the coronavirus is still very real and taking people's lives and people are sick and there's economic devastation and there's great turmoil in our country right now. And so we're in the midst of days of uncertainty. So that's what we see in verse 13 and then verse 14, which we're familiar with says this, if my people who were called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe that verse it was for Israel, and it is for us as the church. It can apply to the nations, absolutely. 
God can heal and, 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 and bring a revival to the nations. And that's my prayer this morning is that God will do that. But church, it needs to start with us. And that's going to be my challenge to you this morning. As that each and every one of us, as we begin this new year, that we will return to the Lord. And so I'm going to call you to pray a lot today. And so right now, right where you are, however the Lord leads you to pray, I just want you to pray. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek His face. Turn from your wicked ways. Spend some time in prayer. And then I will pray for us. And then the praise team is going to lead us in one more song. So pray right now. Father, these verses promise us that you're a God who hears, a God who forgives. You are a God who heals. We have people this morning in need of physical healing, and they're struggling financially, but most of all, Lord, they need spiritual healing. Our country needs healing. The church of Jesus Christ here in America needs healing. We need a revival, oh God. We do not know what 2021 holds for us. This may be a year, God, of a great spiritual awakening that takes place in this country like we have never seen before. Or Father, there may be great devastation that continues. There may be greater turmoil. And Lord, it could even overflow into the church as maybe, God, we begin to experience some persecution. Lord, whatever your purpose and your plan is for this country, Lord, I know what your purpose is for the church. It's that we would return to you and be men and women who rend our hearts and not just our garments, who give you our life, who are willing to live on mission for you, who want to tell others about you, who are fully committed to the glory of our supreme sovereign God. So what I'm asking you right now this morning, for those of us who are here, those of us who are watching online, our church folks, our guests, those tuning in for the first time, that God, through your word, through your spirit, that you would begin to do extraordinary, powerful things in our midst. And that we will not remain the same. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the triune God. You and you alone are worthy of our praise. And so as we sing, as we hear the word, as we pray, may today be about the glory of God and the glory of God only in our midst. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's worship together. Mercy. 
standing and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joel. I'll give you an extra moment to turn there. And my Bible is page 851. I don't know if that helps you or not, but we're probably not as familiar uh, with the book of Joel. But we're going to read three verses in chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 verses 12 
verses 13 and verses 14, then also during the message give you some context and we'll look at a few verses uh, as well. I know we changed up the order of service a little bit, so if you have a child that goes to children's church, now's the time to send them if you have not already done so. Joel chapter 2, this is the word of the Lord. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. You may be seated. On May 15th, 1957, at Madison Square Garden located in New York City, Billy Graham began what was to be a six-week crusade. On the first night, the crowds far exceeded expectations. In fact, it was the largest opening night of any of Graham's American crusades. The New York Times, I mean, think about this. The New York Times devoted two entire pages to talking about this, uh, this, this revival including a verbatim transcript of his sermon. They would not do that today for anything. And yet they did that in 1957. Due to large crowd size, the crusade continued well past six weeks. Graham and his team decided to end the crusade on July 20th with an outdoor event at Yankee Stadium. That night, in 105-degree temperatures, over 100,000 people showed up to hear Billy Graham declare, you must be born again. Graham and his team once again extended the crusade, this time all the way until Labor Day, when an even larger crowd packed into Times Square one last time. I want you to think about that. For three and a half months in one city, one of the most prominent cities in our country, people kept coming to hear the word of God proclaimed, and no doubt, many, many of them were saved. In 1957, and at other times in our history, there has been a hunger for the word of God and for God himself. And my prayer, as we enter into 2021, is that once again, in our country, and in our cities, and in our churches, and in our own life, there will be a hunger for the Word of God and for God Himself. I think we would all agree that America is in need of a spiritual awakening. But if that is going to happen, I am fully convinced that must first happen in the church of Jesus Christ. And if it is to happen in the church of Jesus Christ, then it must start with you and with me. So the message this morning is simply entitled, Return to the Lord. I don't have any notes, just a picture, just for you to look at. Return to the Lord. Right? We read this phrase in Joel chapter 2. 
And so from the scriptures, we know that we are to love God. We are to walk in his ways. We are to keep his commands and his decrees and his laws. But what so often happens is we forsake God and then we begin to replace God. We see this over and over in scripture and in history. We forsake God, then we replace God. And so this morning, as we begin 2021, I believe God is once again calling us to forsake our sin and return to him. So before we come to the verses that we'll focus on, let me just give you a little bit of background on this short book. Joel, the name means Yahweh is God. Now scholars debate over when uh, this was written. Some people believe this takes place in the 800s before the people of God are exiled, taken into slavery, into Babylon and Assyria, and all of that begins to unfold. Others date it in the 500s. That would be after the exile, as the people of God begin to come back to Jerusalem. That's when this takes place. So they don't agree on when this happens, but regardless, the purpose is the same. And it is to call God's people to repentance so that they could escape judgment and enjoy blessings on the approaching day of the Lord. One of the themes in this short book is that phrase, the day of the Lord. I want you to look at it. Joel chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Chapter 2, verse 11. This is the verse that precedes our text this morning. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful. Look at this. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This day of the Lord is a future day, and it is to be a day of judgment. A day of judgment, a day of the wrath of God. But on this day of the Lord, we also see in the book of Joel, this day holds out hope of restoration. So yes, there is judgment, but there is also hope. The ESV Study Bible says it this way, The day of the Lord heralds destruction for the nations, but it also functions as a time of salvation for God's people. So when we think of the day of the Lord, right, and the presence of God comes and the judgment of God falls, it brings judgment. It brings judgment. But the presence of the Lord can also bring deliverance and blessing. And so yes, there is judgment, but there is also hope in the midst of that judgment. But first, let's look at the judgment. This judgment that is unfolding. Joel calls all those in Judah and Jerusalem to lament. He is calling the people of God to return to the Lord, and he is doing so, this is important, during a time of national calamity. Things are not going well in Jerusalem and in Judah. Chapter 1 explains the problem they're dealing with. It is a locust invasion. Locusts have actually, real locusts have invaded the land and they have devoured the land. We see this, verse 4 of chapter 1. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. That's a lot of locusts here in this verse. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Verse 7, 
It has laid waste my vine, splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Verse 12, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees. Look, all the trees of the field are dried up. Gladness dries up from the children of man. Right? Not only are the trees dried up, but the gladness is dried up. This is a national calamity facing the people of God. It brings destruction, devastation, desolation. John MacArthur says this, An extended drought and massive invasion of locusts has stripped every green thing from the land, brought severe economic devastation, leaving the southern kingdom weak. When you come to chapter 2, you begin to see the imagery of an army. And this army is describing the coming day of judgment, the Lord's army. And this great day. So think about what happens in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The locusts are a judgment on sin, sent by God. But that judgment that the locusts bring pales in comparison to this future judgment of the day of the Lord. The locusts and the armies are pictures here of God's judgment against human sinfulness. Think about this. These are, this is God's people, right? the nation of Israel. And God has used nature and Israel's armies as his means of divine judgment. He is using trials and calamity to awaken the hearts of his people and to call them to return to himself. Throughout the scriptures, we see God humble nations who refuse to repent and return to him. Sodom and Egypt, Babylon, Moab, the Philistines, the Assyrians, and yes, even Israel and Judah. Hear me. God will use trials and calamity to awaken the hearts of his people and to call them to return to himself. So here's the question What is the future of America? I don't know. I don't believe what we can do is take America and compare it to Israel. Because America is not the people of God. God has blessed this country, but from Scripture we know God Himself declares that Israel was His chosen people. The church is more like Israel than America is like Israel. The church is the people of God. But the church lives, at least the church in America, lives here in this country. Now other countries, the church of Jesus Christ is living in different circumstances. But for us, this is where we live. And so we're most concerned, obviously, with our country. What is the future of America? Is it judgment? Is it destruction, devastation, desolation for our sin? Will 2021 just be worse than 2020? Is it gonna get better? Is God's plan for America that in 2021 we begin to see a spiritual awakening that we haven't seen in a long time? Listen, I don't know, and you don't know either, what God's plan is for this country. We have an election on Tuesday here in Georgia. All eyes will be on our state. And if you haven't voted yet, you need to go vote on Tuesday. You need to use your vote and use your voice, and you need to stand, I believe, for all of life, from the womb to the tomb. You need to use that voice. 
And the election on Tuesday, if we're honest, is important for the future of our country. But the reality is, America walked away from God a long time ago. This isn't something that happened last month or last year. It's been a long time coming of our country walking away from the Lord. And so here we are, unsure of what the future holds for this country, but yet what we do know is she is in desperate need of a spiritual awakening. And that may or may not come. Only God knows that. But here's the point I want to make to you. Whether our country experiences an awakening or not, the response of the church is to be the same. And that is we must return to the Lord. Whether our country returns to the Lord or not, our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to return to the Lord. America is forsaking God. But what is more damning so has the church, Jesus Christ, here in America. The church, not every church. Some churches, man, are growing and thriving, and God is doing unbelievable things. But I think the church in general here in America has forsaken God. One author writes, we would rather play than pray. We would rather have our ears tickled than our hearts searched by the Word. We would rather be entertained than challenged. We would rather stay like we are than become more like Him. The church of Jesus Christ in America must return to the Lord. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must hold fast to the Word of God. And we must be concerned with one thing, and that is the glory of our God. We must live for His glory. So Israel found themselves in a time of calamity. Was there any hope for them? Was there a promise for them in their dark days? The answer is yes. And so though chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 are specifically for Israel, I believe it still applies to the church today and can apply to nations today. If we would follow what we read here in chapter 2. This is our hope. And so this is what I'm going to call you to do this morning. I'm going to call you and myself and my family to return to the Lord. So we begin in verse 12. Yet, even now, declares the Lord. This is the Lord. This is His word. Return. Return. This is an imperative. This is a command. We must return. We must turn back. We could use the word repent. We must return to who? To me. We must return to the Lord. Look at the language. With all your heart. All of you. We are to be all in and following our God. Not 50%, not 99.9%. Look what the scripture says. Return to me with what? All your heart. And as we return to the Lord, he says, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He starts with fasting. Fasting in the scripture is almost always referred to as abstaining from food. If you are doing our 21-day prayer guide and journal, there is a section in the back that talks about fasting. It gives you suggestions, fasting from food or from other things. Fasting is neglected among the people of God. 
We think, I can't live without this, or I can't do without this. Fasting is a means of self-denial. Church, we need less of self and more of God. So if you're doing the 21-day prayer guide, what are you fasting from? Now, this isn't to be publicized. You don't need to go to Facebook or wherever and say, hey, this is what I'm fasting from. This is between you and your spouse if it's a food and you need to let her know, hey, I, I, he or she, I'm not eating or whatever it may be. But what are you going to abstain from? What are you going to set aside so that you may be able to focus more upon the Lord our God? He says you are to return to me with fasting, with weeping. The act of making expressions of sorrow. We are to weep. What are we to weep about? I think we are to weep on the account of our sin. When's the last time you wept over your sin? With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, wailing, howling, loud shrieking. When is the last time you mourned over the lostness of the people around you? Fasting, with weeping, with mourning. But notice these are external acts. These are things you do externally. So he moves from the external to the internal when he says this. And rend your hearts and not your garments. I can't help, I apologize. When I think of rending your garments, I can't help but think about Hulk Hogan. And I grew up, right, in the days when Hulk Hogan was huge, right? He'd come out on stage and he'd say, you know, you need to say, take your vitamins, you need to say your prayers, and he'd take that shirt and he would rip it, right? I remember my cousin had one of those, and, and he too could rip it, and he was like 10, so they must have been really easy to tear, but he, he, he would rip it, right? Why would he just rip it? Man, it was all for show, because he knew as he came out there, right, huffing and puffing and shaking his head and ripping that, people would cheer and get excited. When they would rend their garments, this was an outward display of grief. They were outwardly displaying their grief by rending, ripping apart their garments. But here's the danger for some of us. The danger for some of us is we are doing external things simply for show. We're doing what we're supposed to do, but it's really for show. It's so people on the outside see us doing the right things, but our heart remains unchanged. And so what does the Lord say? The Lord knows this. He says, when you return to me, it should be accompanied with fasting, with weeping and mourning, but I'm not ultimately concerned about your external things, the ripping of garments. What does he say? Rend your what? Your hearts. Rend your hearts. Church, our sin, our idolatry, our pride, our forsaking Christ and replacing Christ is ultimately a heart issue. God wants our hearts. We read in the Scriptures that man looks at outer appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our outward behaviors are always the symptoms of an inward problem. What we see in America taking place, it is the result of the heart. People are doing what's just in their heart, what comes out. We need a heart change. Rend your heart. We don't need more emotionalism. Look, I'm an emotional person. I I shed tears sometimes when I preach, and, and I think it's good to cry over our sin. But what I'm challenging you to do is not more emotionalism. Where you're up and down and just because of your emotions. What I'm calling you to is not more legalism. 
Just more external obedience. Just keep doing these external things apart from your heart being changed. What I'm calling for us to take place, for what to happen in our life, is for your heart and mine to be broken. To be shattered over our sin and over the lostness around us. Now, word of caution, particularly if you're doing the 21-day prayer and fasting. Hear me. You can read and you can fast and you can pray all the while just going through the motions. You, you can say, Pastor, man, I did every day. I fasted. I prayed. Right? I, I did all of these things. You can do all of that. And in 21 days, nothing changes in your life. Because it's all external. Our prayer is that God will do something in us and then through us. Because he breaks our hearts for what breaks his. So he calls us to repent. Now watch this. Return to the Lord your God. Here's, here's our motive. For he is gracious. He's merciful. And he is slow to anger. And he's abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Why am I calling you to repent? I'm calling you to repent because our God is gracious and he is merciful. And he will forgive us when we repent. I'm calling us to repent because our God is slow to anger. And he's abounding in steadfast love. And he may just relent. And pull back his judgment when we confess, turn from our wicked ways. The motive for our repentance is the glory of God. It is who he is. And look what he says in verse 27 of chapter 2. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. He is promising that I will be in your midst. As I was thinking about this word rend, and looking it up and seeing where else it occurs in Scripture, we also read of it in Isaiah 64, verse 1. Isaiah says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Isaiah looks up and he sees the vastness of the heavens, right? And he sees the heavens as this vast curtain concealing God. And he is saying, God, rend the heavens, pull back the curtain, and show up in a mighty, mighty way that your presence might be felt. You see, the Old Testament points to a rescue that is coming. It points to a freedom that is coming. It points to a transformation of the heart that is coming. Let me just give you a glimpse of this here in Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, right? Peter quotes this on the day of Pentecost in his sermon, right? Of, of saying the spirit of God has come. He has fallen upon us. And then look at verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. C.H. Spurgeon writes, The text commands us to rend our hearts, but they are naturally hard as marble. How then can this be done? We must take them to Calvary. 
Church, we are in need. We are sinners in need of rescuing, transforming, empowering, and delivering grace. And the New Testament says that Jesus Christ is our rescuer. That he has come to rescue us and save us. And that this morning we can return to the Lord. Right now, if we have forsaken him, if we have walked away, if we have lost our first love, that right now this morning we can return to the Lord. We can confess our sin. We can forsake or turn from our sin. And we can turn to Jesus Christ. Right, if you're reading with the students through uh, the Bible, you started in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, not just once. Believe, not just once. But repent, believe, and keep on repenting, and keep on believing, and keep on repenting, and keep on believing. For the rest of our life, the mark of our lives, and the mark of the church should be those who repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Our hope, church, is in Jesus. So this morning, let us rend our hearts. Let us return to the Lord. But hear me. Rending your heart is dangerous. If I'm honest, it's scary for many of us. Why? Let me speak for myself. Being a Christian here in America means I'm comfortable. It's comfortable here. And being comfortable often leads to complacency. See, it's interesting. In Joel, we don't read of idolatry. Idolatry was Israel's sin prior to them being deported. But once they begin to come back after being taken into captivity by Assyria and Babylon, we don't read of them struggling with idolatry anymore. They, they begin to struggle with other things. And so some people I read this week talking about Joel says Joel doesn't mention the sin of the people, but their sin may very well have been complacency. They weren't worshiping other gods, but they had stopped actively worshiping the one true God. They had become complacent. And here in America, in the church, many of us, myself included, have become comfortable, and therefore we have become complacent. So what if, church, what if, over these next 21 days, God begins to do extraordinary things in your life and mine? What if through your reading and through your praying and through your fasting and through your seeking the face of God and praying for lostness, what if God shows up in unbelievable, powerful ways in your life and mine? Again, if you've been working through this, you see this in Acts chapter 19. This was day one. Acts chapter 19, verse 11, says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul is being obedient. Paul is being an instrument in the hands of an awesome God. And God begins to do extraordinary miracles in their midst. Working so powerfully, it says it in verse 19, And many of those who were now believing came confessing and divulging their practices. Now, what would happen if the Spirit of God began to so convict us that we begin to divulge our sins? We didn't keep them hidden anymore, but we begin to confess them to one another, turning from them. It says, in a number of those who had practiced magic arts 
brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all? What if God began to convict you and you begin to say, look, things in my life got to go. I've got to put them behind me and give my life more fully to the Lord. Look at this. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Church, this is awesome. A revival is taking place. People are being awakened to the power of God. This is good, right? And then you keep reading. What happens in Ephesus after the Spirit of God begins to transform the hearts of these people? A riot breaks out. The people in the city start losing money because people are repenting and they're not living in a certain lifestyle anymore. And they begin to lose money and they get angry and they get upset. Their livelihood is at stake. And these Christians are messing it all up. So you would think, man, God's doing a work. The city around them would be changed. But in fact, they begin to meet more resistance. It got me thinking. What if over the next 21 days, God does an unbelievable work in your life? Are you willing and ready for whatever that may cost you? Are you willing? What if over the next 21 days, God gets a hold of you and convicts you of a sin in your life? A pet sin. A sin that you enjoy and you like. You willing to lay it down at Calvary and to say, no more. I'm going to turn from my sin. What if the Spirit of God so gets a hold of your life and you are changed that you begin to live differently and your friends who are not believers begin to take notice and they stop texting you, inviting you to come over? And they begin to push you out of their life because, well, you're a Jesus freak now and you love Jesus too much and you're telling me about Jesus and I don't want to hear it. Are you willing to let some of those circles go if that's what happens as a result of Jesus transforming your life? What happens? What happens, church, if our desires begin to change over the next 21 days? That things that you love to do now in 21 days, you don't love anymore. Because God has so drastically changed your heart. I got to watch Kentucky football and basketball yesterday, and they both won. And no joke, I sat there loving sports, loving to watch, and I actually thought, what happens if in 21 days my love for sports is gone? Now, that may not happen. I may still get to watch sports. But what if? What if God so convicts me in the next 21 days that my love for sports is gone? Am I going to be okay with that? Like, is that okay with me if I no longer get to enjoy what I love? Not that there's anything wrong with it, but what if that were to happen? What if God so gets a hold of you that you actually, that I actually begin to live on mission and we begin to tell everyone we come in contact with about Jesus? You willing to do that? If you're like me, you're an introvert, you're timid, you're shy, you, you don't love to just walk up to random people. But what if the Spirit of God so convicts you that you begin to do that? You okay with that? What happens if the Spirit of God gets a hold of you? As BJ talked about last week, he gives you eyes to see people for who they really are. And you begin to live with compassion for them. And you begin to treat them with compassion and it begins to cost you some of your time because people are messy. Or maybe it begins to cost you financially as you begin to invest in people who need help. Are you okay with that? 
Like whatever happens, church, are you willing to say, I'm all in? What happens if things don't go the way we want to on Tuesday? And if it's the will of God in six months or a year or five years, that when you pull into this parking lot, you don't pull in as someone who has the freedom to worship, but you pull in as one who knows it may cost you your job or your health insurance, or your retirement, or spending time with your family because you wind up in jail like many believers have been doing for years in other countries. Are we still all in? Are we still willing to rend our hearts and not our garments because we are all in for the glory of God, whatever comes our way? Look, church, I hope in six months, man, we can gather and things are better and things are looking up and we can see the hand of God in our country and we feel better about that. But if that doesn't happen, the hope for America rests on us and our love for Jesus and whether or not we're going to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So here's what I'm going to call you to do. It's going to call you to rend, to rend your heart, not your garment. There's some sermons I don't really want to preach when the Lord lays upon my heart. And to be honest, this is one of them. But I'm calling you. I'm calling myself to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask you to pray. Whether you're here or online, I'm just going to ask you to pray. Our altar is open. You can come, you can bring your family, you can come kneel, you can kneel where you are, you can sit where you are, you can open the Word of God and just begin to read, you can pray out loud, you can pray in your heart, you can weep, you can mourn, whatever the Spirit of God leads you to do. I am asking us, not for external show, not to try to manipulate God, but I am asking God to genuinely rend, to break my heart. May it start with me. May it start with you. I'm just going to call you to pray. We're not going to pray for a minute. We're going to pray for a while. Not like 20 minutes, but we're going to pray. And if you're watching online at home, if you're watching it online, yeah, at home, uh, I want to encourage you to gather your family. If it's just you, go somewhere and just pray. And then after a while, Bill, I'm just going to have you come. You're our deacon of the week, and I'm just going to have Bill close us in a word of prayer. And we're just going to be dismissed from a time of praying. So let me open us in prayer and then... Let me just call you to pray as the Lord leads you to pray, however the Lord leads you to pray for the next several minutes. Father, God, oh how, oh how I long, God, to see you do things in my life, extraordinary things. God, I can't speak for others. Lord, I can only speak from my own heart. And I know how much I like control, and I know how much I like to be comfortable. And both of those things, God, are in contradiction of, to what it looks like to really follow Jesus. So God, as your people pray, as we pray here at the altar, as we pray in our seats, the Spirit of God, I just pray that you will work in a mighty way. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, may they, may they give their heart and their life to Jesus right now. May they cry out and be saved. Anyone struggling with sin, anyone struggling with complacency, anyone who has lost their first love, Spirit of God, break our heart for what breaks yours. I want to encourage you just to spend some time in prayer. Again, the altar is open. Feel free to come join me up here praying if the Lord leads you to do that.
us courage give us resolve give us of your grace and your mercy your healing is still there your ears see that tonight 